and welcome to From the Sherwell to the Yangtze, the Oxford China Centre Alumni Podcast, where current students interview China Centre alumni about their professional journey and experiences with China. I'm Ailsa, a third-year Sinologist at Pembroke College and... I'm Asma, a second-year Sinologist at St Anne's College. And today we are going to be talking to Isla Wallace. Isla graduated from Oxford with an undergraduate degree in Chinese studies in 2019 and has since worked for Venture Education, an education consultancy company in Beijing. This year, she started her master's in art history at National Taiwan University, a degree which is entirely taken in Mandarin Chinese. Hi, Isla. Hi. Okay, we'll start at the beginning and I'll just ask what initially led you to study Chinese at Oxford University in the first place? So I originally wanted to do history, actually. So when I was doing my A-levels, I wanted to study history. Um, and my original plan was to go to SOAS to study Chinese history. And then I sort of stumbled upon the, the Oxford Chinese course. And it, it kind of seemed perfect because I could study Chinese history and then also keep going with Chinese language because I did, um, did pre-U, so the equivalent of A-level. And yeah, it just honestly seemed perfect. Just the sort of breadth that the course offered you um, was something I really appealed to me. So obviously we study lots of things in our degree. So what was it um, that you did for your dissertation? And can you tell us about it? And what did you enjoy most about it? Yeah, I really enjoyed my dissertation. It was like a really good time to sort of explore um, and delve into things that I hadn't had much of an opportunity to before. Um, and yeah, I became quite interested in visual culture, particularly in terms of sort of print media. Uh, during my time at Oxford, especially in the, the 20s and 30s, Shanghai, the sort of birth of um, mass, mass production of the media. Um, and I originally wanted to look at, at Shanghai, but in a way, the, the research in that field is quite oversaturated. Um, and it's the most daunting thing I think about the dissertation is the idea of having to be original. Um, and so I spoke to my tutor at the time who knew that I grew up in Hong Kong and sort of suggested, well, why don't you look at Hong Kong? And that wasn't something that I thought about before, but it ended up being a really good idea. So I spent my summer before my final year just in HKU library. I got a reader's pass and just sifted through all of their archives of old Hong Kong magazines, Shanghai magazines. And I wanted to find out about the Hong Kong film industry, or I ended up stumbling upon the Hong Kong film industry um, and how it was portrayed in media and how celebrity was portrayed. And I found this actress who um, was really active in the 30s and 40s. And she was from Hong Kong and then ended up moving to Shanghai uh, a bit later in her career. And I sort of used her as this window um, to find out a bit about pre-war nationalism and patriotism um, in Hong Kong, which was a colony at the time. So it was quite an interesting sort of dynamic there. Um, and yeah, no, it was really good. And it made me want to keep researching. I think just because I found it so fun, kind of just delving into something. And I remember my teacher at the time saying, wow, like this is probably, probably one of your best pieces of work and it shows because you're actually really interested in it. Um, and yeah, that was sort of it. That's really, really interesting. Like on that note, so mm -hmm. sort of when did you like realize that you wanted to do um, a master's in, it's in art history. 
So like yeah, when did you not history. during your dissertation that you sort of realized that after researching that you'd wanted to go into it further? I think I knew I wanted to do a master's for sure. I just wasn't sure what in yet because I, what I was looking at for my dissertation wasn't, wasn't particularly art focused. It was more history or um, visual culture or even literature, I suppose. So that the interest in art history, I guess, came a bit later, but I knew at that point that I wanted to keep going. Could you please explain for our listeners, if they don't know what art history is, um, what exactly that is and what the degree entails? So art history, the in Taiwan, it's not, unlike the UK, say, it's not offered currently as an undergraduate. So at the moment, it's all um, postgraduate. So you all, so I'd never studied art history formally before. I did a module at Oxford. So I did Painters on Painting with Sheila Vanka which is sort of just a small introduction to art history. And then uh, my first time formally studying was at this degree. And it's the same as all my classmates. And it's really, it, it, it teaches you art history from, from right at the beginning. So my first year I did, sorry, my first semester, I had a, just a module in, it was just an introduction to art history. And so it went from just how you study a bit about the history of art history, you know, when it started becoming a, a sort of a formal subject. Um, and then this semester I'm doing one on art historiography and criticism. So we're really learning the sort of basic skills, which is great because I didn't you know, know much about studying it formally. Um, and in terms of what you study, the, the department I'm at is mainly, um, it's, it's all Eastern art history. Uh, mainly Chinese and Taiwanese, but then there's also some Japanese art history. And the breadth is like Oxford in a way, it's just so, it's so broad. And, you know, a last semester I did, I did a, I did a module in handicrafts and also one in Taiwanese art history. And then this semester I'm doing one in 20th century art history. And then there's also modules on Ming dynasty paintings and, um, uh, Northern Song Buddhist art so it's really it's really really broad um, and you can really sort of delve into what period of art history or what area of art history you like. That's really cool that you get to do so many different things so obviously from like people studying your undergrad um, in the lower years it could um, seem really intimidating to do it in Chinese. When, when did you decide that you wanted to do your master's in Taiwan and using Chinese? And, and what's that like? Um, because for me, I'm thinking about doing a master's in Chinese, but it sounds really intimidating. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I studying Chinese wasn't necessarily the deciding factor for me. I think I knew I wanted to study um, master's degree here. Um, I was applying for a few different uh, degrees, a few in English, but I ended up choosing this one in Chinese because art history is mainly taught in Chinese here. Um, and it, it was, yeah, sort of a bonus, I guess, to do it in Chinese because, you know, you don't only come out with a master's degree, but then you also come out with, in theory, um, amazing, relatively fluent Chinese. And it is hard. You know, my first semester was pretty difficult um, for sure because you're you're dealing with so many things. You're dealing with a complete, you know, with a, a master's degree level of study, 
um, different style. You're in a fully seminar style, so which is a lot more student led rather than being completely led by the professor, for example. But then also adding language onto it where you're sitting in class and especially at the beginning I was in classes and I really couldn't understand what the teacher was saying um and you just have to kind of not be too hard on yourself I think is the I guess if I was going to give advice would be the biggest thing and um are there other international students in your class or are they mostly Taiwanese mostly Taiwanese I'm the only international student um in my class there's one student from mainland China but apart from that, it's just me. My, my course is quite small. So there's, it's similar to Oxford in that way. There's only 12 of us. And so, yeah, and it doesn't, we don't get a lot of, they don't get a lot of international students passing through just because it's so, so small. We're not even technically a department. We're a, we're a research institute. So that just gives you an idea of like how small we are. We're like an institute as a part of the Faculty of Arts and Humanities. Um, there are quite a few international students at NTU, like broadly speaking, but like there's a lot in like social sciences, particularly, and I think in history um, and in Chinese literature, there's quite a lot and obviously in science as well. But I think in my my subject, because it's still quite small, there's really not many of us. So could you talk us through the application process uh, for applying for a master's, both the, the English language degree programs and the Chinese language degree programs in Taiwan? Yeah, sure. So it's pretty, it's pretty simple process actually. And there are different requirements for international students to uh, local students. You don't have to usually take as many exams as the local students do. Um, so what I think what all I had to do was um, obviously all my results, so that was a big part of it. So handing in all my degree certificates and things like that. Um, I had to submit a study plan. So that was essentially what, you know, what I wanted to end up writing my master's thesis in and what my focus would be in, I guess, in terms of how I would pick my modules and things like that. So that was in Chinese, which was definitely rather difficult at the time. And I, as I was writing it, I was sort of feeling sorry for whoever had to read it at the other end because I'd never really written a sort of formal academic piece of writing before. Um, so that was definitely a challenge. So that was the big thing. And then you also have um, an interview in Chinese as well, which was a little intimidating because um, the only you know academic interview I'd had before that was the Oxford one where it's just you and then maybe two professors, but this was me and then every professor in the department. So there was about eight of them sitting around a table and I go in and, you know, have to talk to these amazing um, uh, intellectuals that know so much about this subject and speak to them in slightly broken Chinese about why I want to, why I want to be on their course. Um, and luckily, luckily I had a friend who had, um interviewed and got in so she was able to give me some some forewarning about about that process but that was definitely one of the scariest things I've ever had to do um, and so do you think your experience at Oxford helped you um prepare for your master's or was there quite a lot of learning at first um definitely in terms of language uh for sure you know that that grounding in Chinese and then uh, a more academic style of, of Chinese that that Oxford 
you know, prepares you for. That was definitely helpful. Um, the style of teaching is very, is quite different. And I think that's, I think that's masters in, in general. And then also uh, there's a different focus uh, in, like there's a different way that you're graded in, in studies in Taiwan. So it's partly focused on your um, participation in class, for example, and also your end of module assignments. So um, that was a lot to get used to, for sure. I think, I think it did help me. And I think it helped me in terms of knowing how to structure an academic essay, definitely. Um, yeah, it's hard to say just because the skill set is so different and it's felt so different so far. So what drew you to study Chinese and Taiwanese art in greater depth in both your undergrad and postgrad? And why was 20th, the 20th century the focus of your postgraduate degree? So I took the uh, option in my third year, which was um, painters, in, painters on Painting, run by Sheila Banker. And so that was my first experience studying art history. Um, and I, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. And for my extended essay, I did focus on the 20th century. Um, and I also just find that period of history um, just really interesting, not even from an art, not even only from an art perspective, but just in general, it's just such an interesting period of change. This might be a bit of a difficult question then, but you just mentioned that you also deal with Western art sources, I guess you could say. So mm -hmm. what have been like the main differences or like just interesting points that you've observed between um, Western and Eastern art? Um, that is difficult just because I haven't really formally studied art, Western art history before. Um, my main exposure to it was in this course and yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I, I struggle with that, with that question a little bit just cause I, I couldn't, yeah, I just couldn't tell you the answer. That's <laughs> That's fine. Like I don't know what I would say. <laughs> you'll be able to like, write a whole thing on it or something. <laughs> yeah. Instead of our, you mentioned about uh, working in an ex exhibition as an assistant for about four or five months, did you say? Uh, I worked at, um, I was a sales and marketing coordinator at a gallery here in Taiwan. So what did, what would that entail like day to day? What would you do? And what did you like learn from those experiences that maybe you used towards your masters or just in general life? So I was sales and marketing uh, for a commercial gallery in Taipei. Uh, I, it was very, cause it's quite a small gallery. So I, my, my duties were quite varied. Um, I, number one, I worked at the front desk, which was, I learned quite a lot from that so a lot of customer service talking to talking to clients talking to visitors telling them about the art or you know selling them art books and things like that picking up the phones a little bit but I wasn't particularly good at that um and so that that was one aspect of it the sort of greeting greeting clients and being you know being the representative and the face of the gallery um but then also a bit about so marketing so that was a lot of social media marketing so how do we promote artists um, online and how do we keep up our presence uh, on social media um, and a bit about sales as well. Um, 
So uh, preparing, I did a lot of work preparing for some of the uh, art um, fairs that we did. So for uh, Taipei Dangdai, which is like a Taipei based art fair, um, Art Basel in Hong Kong as well. So learning a bit about the things, like what you do to prepare for all of those and putting together um, lists for, for collectors and for potential buyers. Um, and because it was a small gallery as well, it meant that I had exposure to so many different aspects of it. So even from learning how to hang a painting, so when we were putting up and setting down exhibitions, everybody had to sort of muck in and help help with that. So I learned a bit about how you hang a painting, you know, to, to a gallery standard and how to wrap a painting and the checks that you have to go through, like the logistics of how people collect, come and collect the works before, you know, it gets shipped off to Hong Kong to be put on display, things like that. So I really did learn quite a lot about how, how a gallery is, is run. And that was really interesting, I think. I mean, also just cultural things. So one interesting thing that I had to do um, as part of like the sales and marketing team was I was partly responsible for um, Bye Bye, which is like um, pretty much like a few times a month. Uh, you'll see if you go around Taiwan, like outside of buildings or shops, there'll be a little table outside with um, offerings and incense um, uh, for uh, the earth gods. So Tudi Gong, and it's quite traditional for uh, businesses will pray to the earth god for good fortune um, and so part of my duty this was like such an interesting cultural experience for me part of my duty was getting making sure we had all the incense and making sure there was the right number of sticks of incense for everybody buying all of the offerings um, making sure it all happened on time and so like just from that perspective completely un unrelated to work that was like such an interesting experience for me I literally saw that I think a day or two ago and I was wondering what is this for like there's usually just shrines down the road you have like a number of shrines maybe we should cut this off podcast who cares um and that's okay yeah, flower shop had it and I was like why does a flower shop have this and I'd go down and see like another table with like oranges and Lay's crisps on it yeah yeah it's to do with the uh lunar calendar so it's certain days on the lunar calendar is um when you have to pray to Tudi Gong, for example. And yeah, the the Lay's crisps, there's like different rules about how many bags you have to have. Like, I think it can't be an odd number of, of Ling Chi on the, uh, like on the offering table and things like that. And yeah, really interesting. That, it sounds like you had some really, really cool experiences, um, but after you did um, your work there, you worked as a policy analyst at Venture Education, which is a education consultancy company in Beijing. Um, how would you describe the work of a policy analyst to someone who is currently completing their studies? Mm, that's hard just because, um, so I joined Venture when it was very much growing and the duties and sort of projects that we were working on were changing all the time. Um, so the main thing I, I was, I was in research, so research analyst and working on different reports related to China, UK education in particular. So I did some work on, uh, teacher training. I did some work on, 
uh, investing in UK education. So we had a, a we had a, uh, we organized a few webinars with the DIT, for example, and with the British Chamber where we were working on promoting uh, investment in UK education with um, Chinese investors, for example. And so I was talking to ed tech companies and um, K-12 and higher ed. And uh, it was really, it was really interesting and like fast paced. And I think I couldn't give you like a full, couldn't give you like a straight answer with it just because it, it really changes and it changes with the time and it depends what you know, where the wind is blowing with Chinese education and what you want to be focusing on, for example. Did you enjoy your time at Venture Education? Yeah, definitely. It was, they're such a great team and I'd never met them because, you know, classic COVID, I, I started remotely and even though I was there for a year, I never met them and always work remotely. And I think I got really close to them and a few of my, a few of my colleagues, I can't wait to go and see when I, when I visit Beijing. Um, everyone's just really nice and quite easygoing and they have a really great company culture. And I, I was also, I got that job during, during COVID and I was just also just so happy to, to have a job and also join like such a welcoming team. And yeah, it was great. So obviously doing this role online and then also coordinating with um, com um, organisations which you mentioned, like the British Chamber of Commerce, like how did you manage this online and coordinating with all these people? And for example, you're obviously working with the UK as well. There's a time difference. How did you manage to organise and coordinate all of these things? It was definitely difficult and I think it was a, a definite benefit that I was in Taiwan which is in the same time zone as, as Beijing so I could you know talk to my colleagues at 9am my time which was 9am their time so I worked when I worked with them full-time I worked a nine to six day which was the same and I had the same office hours which makes life a lot easier and a lot of the the companies we were working with would be in Beijing as well so the British Chamber of Commerce in Beijing um, the DIT also has um, some offices in in Beijing as well, so that would be primarily who we'd be talking to. Um, so that was definitely a lot easier, but it was definitely skills I had to learn. You know how to how to do business with people when I've never really met them, and how to be professional on on Zoom, uh, for example, and get things done from a distance. Um, yeah, it was yeah. So it seems like you've worked in like a variety of industries in the sense that you worked as a research analyst and also as like a sales and marketing coordinator at the arts exhibition. So how do you envision the tra trajectory of your career going forward after your master's? Um, I think I've worked in so many different industries, partly because I've only really just graduated and I am working it out in a way. And I... I really love, I love art and I also love education and I'm doing this master's and it's something I really, I would love to give a go, a go at and working in art, um, potentially working in, in curation, for example. I mean, a reason why, a big reason I left the, the art gallery was I, I was in sales and marketing, which wasn't quite my calling. And because I didn't have 
um, necessarily an art related background. So I didn't have an undergraduate in fine art or history of art. It was harder to kind of pursue a maybe more creative route. So curation or research, um, for example. And so I wanted to keep studying just so that I had that, um, I could go in that direction as well. But education is always something that's kind of in the back of my mind. And part of me also dreams about teaching Chinese one day as, as well, um, as a sort of, you know, maybe in the back of my brain, just because I think learning Chinese from someone that looks like me, for example, I think, and is has been a learner as well, is I think can be quite effective because you can understand how the Chinese learner is, is thinking. Yeah, definitely. I can definitely relate to that. Um, so do you think after you graduate from your master's, you'll go back into work or do you think you would ever stay in academia? I think I will take a break for sure. I don't have any plans to keep going uh, in academia. I think I will try and yeah go straight into work. But if I can be in a sort of academic-esque role, that would be great. You know, research in research focused or um, I don't know, working in a museum or something. I think that would be great. Um, just because it is something I enjoy, but I think a PhD would be too much for me right now. So before in the in your second year, you went to Beijing and then in the your third year summer, you went to Taiwan for two months to study. And then when you graduated, you went, you worked with a Beijing based company and now you're back in Taiwan. So yeah. when did you know that you wanted to live in Taiwan or do your master's in Taiwan or did you always know that after your third year summer that you wanted to stay in Taiwan? Um, I definitely think that that third year summer, so two months spent in Taiwan was the deciding factor for me. I grew up in Hong Kong, uh, but I'd never actually been to Taiwan and it's only an hour away by flight. And I couldn't believe I hadn't because it is such a great, it is such a great place, especially Taipei. It's such an exciting city. Mm -hmm. And I think also from an art perspective, it is a really interesting place to be. There's a lot of great galleries here um, and a lot of museums and culturally it's, it's just so rich as well. I think I, I really enjoyed Beijing, but I think I don't, I think the winters were just too cold for me. I know that sounds pathetic, but it was it was really difficult in Beijing and being from Hong Kong, which is a subtropical climate. Um, definitely the Taipei, the Taipei climate suits me a lot better. And I, I find the city quite familiar. And I think that's, you know, through maybe cultural connection to Hong Kong. And it is quite similar in that way. Um, it just feels really comfortable and I, I like it here. But I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'll be here long, long term, but definitely want to stay in Asia for a while and be in, Hong, be in Taiwan at least for another couple of years. I wanted to ask quickly, you just mentioned that Taiwan is quite um, cultural, like it has a lot of culture, um, especially like the indigenous people that live in Taiwan. I wanted to know in your degree whether or not you ever covered indigenous art at all. No, we don't. We don't have that uh, focus, which I think is a, is a shame. And I think, interestingly, indigenous art here isn't really put in with, from, from my observation, it isn't necessarily put in with art history. It's put in a lot with anthropology, for example. Um, 
and it's studied in that way. So the the Taiwanese art history that I that I studied was so we started with uh, was the end of the nineteenth century and looking at um, Japanese. Japanese occupation of Taiwan and that that sort of period, but it, we never really focused on indigenous art, which is something I would like to know more about for sure. Um, you, we know that you studied Japanese at a beginner level. Do you think that um, Japanese art would be something you'd be interested in, in researching, or are you quite committed to sticking within the Chinese Taiwanese art? Yeah, I definitely like to. So I actually have to study Japanese for part of my degree. So I'm taking it at the moment alongside my degree. So I take three hours of Japanese every week and I take it at the NTNU School of Continuing Education. And it's great. It's really it's really interesting because I haven't really studied a new language since I was 10 and started French because I because I grew up in Hong Kong. I studied Chinese as my my second language in primary school. And so I haven't learned a new language for so long. And so this has been really, really cool learning a new one. Um, in terms of Japanese art and using it in my degree, definitely. Um, there's a lot of Japanese, I mean, even looking at Chinese art, there's a lot of really interesting Japanese academic writing in like on Chinese art. And then also if you're interested in Taiwanese art, it's really important to know Japanese for example, just because of the history. And if you want to look at anything um, pre-1949, for example, knowing Japanese and, you know, is, is super, super important. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't really studied a lot of Japanese uh, art apart from the Taiwanese Japanese art, but it's definitely something I would be interested in. There's, there are courses at my university in Japanese art. So that might be something I'll explore next year, maybe when my Japanese gets a bit better. Um, for someone who is interested in 20th century Chinese and Taiwanese art, are there any resources that you'd recommend as a starting point? Yeah, definitely. So there's a really interesting lecture series. Um, so it's three lectures uh, by Craig Clunas, who is Professor Emeritus of Chinese art history at Oxford um, and is he's a really great speaker and knows so much about Chinese art history and he did uh, a lecture series at Gresham College um, three different lectures about basically about the 20th century in art history um, so and they're all available on YouTube and they're about I think an hour long each so I'd say that it's a really good digestible way to to understand a bit about Chinese art history also there's so many great monographs out there um, on Chinese art history so um, for example Julia Andrews um, she's written so much on 20th century art history and particularly uh, it was the art of modern China so that's one of our core texts for my 20th century art history course uh, at the moment and it's it's a really really good overview um, of all of the art movements of the period so I'd say those two definitely the lecture series because Craig Clunas is he's such a great speaker he's amazing um thank you that's we really um good for people who are interested or a little, even just um curious um those resources um I don't know if there's any I don't really have any more questions I don't know if you'd ask I wanted to ask so you studied Japanese after your undergraduate degree, but in the 
undergraduate degree, there is the option to take it as a subsidiary language. So I have like two main questions, which are why, or like, yeah, why did you decide not to study Japanese during your undergrad? And do you think it was maybe like the best choice considering um, that you'll, you have to study it now? And also what advice would you give to people who have studied Chinese first with learning Japanese? Yeah, that's really, really good, really interesting question, actually. So I originally, I originally chose not to do a subsidiary language just because I, I felt like I wasn't really a linguist and my strongest, I think my strongest, you know, aspect of my, um, like my strongest suit in Chinese, uh, like Chinese studies was sort of the essay writing um, and the more humanities based rather than the linguistics based um, studies. So I felt uh, it would suit me better to do the options. Um, and I'm, I'm glad I did because it, it, I was able to study art history in that period. And, you know, that's also led me on to, onto this. Um, but it's true. I would have had a sort of better time maybe at the moment if I'd done Japanese then my, my, my thought what with it was, I want to study another language. Originally, I, I think, I thought about taking another language, but I was originally thinking I would take um, Korean. Um, but I thought the way I wanted to learn was maybe go and study in the country um, after graduation. I thought that I would find that uh, maybe a more beneficial or more interesting way to learn the language. Um, and then, yeah, which I hope I still will be able to do with Japanese. I'm, I was hoping I could go this summer and spend some time, but I think that might not happen, but hopefully next, next summer, um, can try and spend some time in in Tokyo and kind of improve my Japanese because I think that is you know as you both know that is just the best way to learn a new language is just by exposure to it rather than you know only learning for three hours a week um, and then in terms of learning Japanese from a Chinese like from a, a Chinese learner's perspective I I think I definitely have it's a definite advantage for sure because you already know the kanji which for many Japanese learners is the hardest, is the hardest part. And, you know, the other, the other bits are like, there's the, you know, hiragana and katagana. So the, the, the alphabet is, it, you know, that, that bit you could sort of learn. The, the grammar is quite different. So that's definitely, and I, you know, you can't exactly translate it. Um, it works in quite a different way, but I'd say one of the biggest the biggest hurdles you've already kind of jumped over that if you know Chinese if that makes sense okay great thank you so much before we finish I wanted to know if you had any answers for the Taiwanese or Chinese art piece that's left and it doesn't have to be a massive impact just a little hmm I like that so it's not too okay. much pressure um I it might be cliche but I really like the work of Wu Guanzhong uh he yeah I just I think his work is really beautiful and like really really interesting there's a big collection of his works at the Hong Kong Museum of Art that I actually haven't had a chance to go and see before that I really want to when COVID is over he does really interesting modern modern ink paintings um yeah and I just I think it's really beautiful so I would really recommend his work Thank you, Isla, for speaking with us today, and thank you to our listeners for joining us for this episode. We hope you found it just as insightful as we did. 
Be sure to subscribe to our page on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to find out as soon as our next episode is released. Our music was Fountain of Living Waters by Siddhartha Corsus. This is a Shouldn't Run podcast. The views, information or opinions expressed during this podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent those of the Oxford University China Centre.